0: So my question, my question for everybody tonight is what comes to mind when you think about God? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer it out loud. But what do you think of? Do you picture God maybe as like somebody who's mad at you, maybe angry, maybe some like guy with like a big white beard up in heaven? What comes to mind? When you think about God, when I was a freshman in college, I had this idea that God was powerful, which is true, and that if I, if I prayed for certain things, he would, he would bless me with those things. And the Bible does teach us to pray, so my, my thinking wasn't totally wrong, but I thought that God, if I, if I were being totally honest, if I had to describe kind of how I viewed God, is that he was like a genie. You guys ever seen one of these? And what does a genie do? How many wishes does a genie grant? Three. No, because they're not real. They don't grant you any wishes. But yes, I thought of God. That was a trick question. I thought of God like a genie. And then when I prayed, if I prayed in just the right way, that God would grant me these wishes. And so I remember I would hike up to this mountain. Because you know if you're on the mountain, then you're closer to God, right? Like because you're closer to heaven. Also not true. But I would pray specifically for three things. And it wasn't that I actually thought God was a genie, but I'd always pray for these three things. And this point in my life, I was dating this girl, and I would pray, God, I want to marry Megan. Just make that happen. Really like her. And I was going to Bible college, and I was like, God, I want to just do really good in school, be the top of my class. Just be like the smartest kid there. Help me with that. And I was working part-time at this church, and I really wanted this full-time youth pastor job. And I was like, God, give me that job full-time. And I would pray, and I would sing songs to God, and all of that. But what I was doing is I was making God really, really small. Like, he was just like this little genie. Because if you guys saw Aladdin, what's the problem with being a genie? Itty-bitty living space, right? Right. And so my view of God was actually really small, and I would pray these prayers, but it was more about these transactions, what could I get from God, and I would pray, and then in one month, Megan broke up with me. Out of nowhere, broke my heart. I got kicked out of Bible college. It's a long story, we don't have time for it. Maybe another time. And then my part-time internship that I had where I was making nothing, I'd been an intern for three and a half years, they laid off all part-time staff, and so I got let go from the job at that church. I know, it's like a sad country music song, isn't it? So I was a little bit mad at God. Have you ever had a moment, maybe you prayed for something and God didn't do what you wanted him to and you were a little disappointed with him? Just be honest right now. Raise your hand if that's, that's ever happened to you. Okay. So that's what happened to me because my view of God was, was that I was, what I thought, hoping, but what I was really doing is I was just kind of wishing. Now, in hindsight, I'm going to tell you guys this. And it doesn't always work out this way, but in hindsight, I am so glad Megan broke up with me because then I met my wife, Lindsay, on a mission trip. I told you that story on the first night. Bible college, I ended up going to a great college, ended up going to a great seminary. And I'm so glad I didn't have the debt I would have had from Bible college. And then I got hired at this church called Sun Valley after I got laid off from this part-time job, which is the church I've been at for almost 20 years. And I am so grateful the person who took the job that I wanted is no longer in ministry, doesn't even follow Jesus. And I look back and I go, okay, maybe God is in control. And maybe God can be trusted even when he doesn't do exactly what I want him to do. I want to talk about the power of hope tonight. And when I say the word hope, we might think of hope as like wishing. Like I hope that That boy likes me, or I hope I get that car, or I hope that I have this ability, or I hope that I can make this team, or I hope that I can become a better singer, or I hope that I become famous, or I hope that I become popular. That's just wishing, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope, what we're gonna see tonight, is rock solid. Biblical hope is not wishing, biblical hope is secure. Meaning that you can put your trust in something. Remember when we sat in the chairs and we're like, oh, wow, we can actually trust these chairs. Biblical hope is putting our trust in God and he is trustworthy. Biblical hope is something different than wishing. There's this quote that says you can live weeks without food, days without water, minutes without air, but you can't live one second without hope. Hope is what allows us to persevere through trials. So the video you watched, if you're like, is that in the Bible with the trashers and all of that? Eh, not really. Kind of, yes. The, the ideas behind that. But I want to give you kind of the biblical basis for what you just saw in those videos. By the way, can we thank Hume for making awesome videos every year? I love those. <laughs> so what we're going to do tonight, I'm going to go through Daniel chapter 2 really, really fast. And then we're going to spend a little time in Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bible, open it up. Daniel chapter 2, I'm just going to give you kind of the summary here. So Nebuchadnezzar, which by the way, Nebuchadnezzar is crazy, like in real life, not just in the movie that we watch, but in real life, he is crazy. I think if we were to diagnose, like, what is, he's homicidal, narcissistic, megalomaniac, but we'll just say he's nuts, okay? So he's crazy, and he has this dream, and he gets all of the enchanters and sorcerers, and he says, I want you to tell me, not just the interpretation of the dream, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And they're like, nobody can do that. And he goes, fine, then I don't need you, and I'm going to have all of you killed. So he's just like, oh, you can't do this impossible thing? You're dead. And so he's going to have them all killed. So Daniel's about to be executed, and he's like, hey, um, time out. And Daniel, once again, with wisdom and kindness, he goes, what's happening right now? Please explain this to me. And the executioner goes, hey, uh, yeah, the king got real mad, and so all of you... Wise people that are part of his council, he, he wants you all dead. And Daniel's able to reason and say, Hey, let's just pause here for a moment, and I believe maybe we'll come up with a solution. So Daniel goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, Let's pray. Because we can't do this. Nobody can do this, but God can. Who can? Brian. Who can? Brian. Who can? That's exactly right. God can. So Daniel says, hey, let's pray to God who can. And then God reveals in a dream to Daniel what the dream of Nebuchadnezzar was and the interpretation. So Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and I want to read what he says because it's pretty gutsy. He says, sorry, i got to fix my my cord here. Daniel replied after the king goes okay so tell me the the dream and the interpretation. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. So the king was about to kill everybody cuz they said this before. Daniel says it again. It's really bold. He says, but there is a god in heaven who reveals mysteries. Who can? God. Who can? God, can? god can. Daniel says, People can't do this, but God can. And he tells him his dream, and he tells them the interpretation. And it's actually a prophecy of history, what would take place after King Nebuchadnezzar. And it ends with that prophecy that there will be a leader, there will be a king whose kingdom is established forever. And that was a prophecy about, remember our timeline? About the coming savior, his name is Jesus. And so he gives this prophecy to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. He goes, Daniel, you're getting a promotion. And Daniel's like, can you promote my friends too? And he's like, sure. And he promotes them and gives them gifts. And he doesn't kill everybody, which is the best part of the story. And then we get to Daniel chapter 3. And and he ends in chapter 2. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, man, your God really can do things. Like, that's amazing. And he's impressed with God, but he will not submit to God. And we see the evidence of that in chapter 3. Because here's how. Chapter 3 begins, right after he's amazed by the power of God. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So basically, anybody who's anybody is coming to this party And they're going to worship this image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he's crazy. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Not asked to do, commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. You guys tracking with me? He's crazy. And he's saying, you have to worship this image or you're going to be killed immediately. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. So everybody had done it except for, guess who? Shad, no, Daniel's not there. Remember in the video? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had prayed to God in the previous chapter with Daniel. God had delivered them miraculously. And why is it such a big deal? Why couldn't they just bow down? Like here they are. They're exiles in this foreign land. There's different rules. Why can't they just bow down to this image and be done with it? You raised your hand. I'm going to call on you. Why? All right. Why? Why? Because God commanded. You guys know what the Ten Commandments are? Ten Commandments. It's part of the, the law that was given to the people of Israel. Do you guys know what the first commandment is? Does anybody know? Love. Jesus summarizes all the law, and he says it's love God, love people. Do you guys know what the first command of the Ten Commandments is? Yeah? Do not murder. That's lower on the list, but it's still, that's a good one. Don't do that. Yep. That's... Also, don't do that. Good. Yep. That's also part of the summary of it. This is, we're getting there. Okay. So that's number two. Number one is you shall have no other gods before me. Only one God that you're to worship. And then the second command Is no worshiping of idols, any image that's made, man-made image, because it was part of the culture that they would make things, and they would go, this is now our God, and they would worship that thing. And and God says, no, 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 out of the Ten Commandments, number one and number two, if they were to bow down in this moment, they would be breaking the first and the second commandment, and they're going, no, because remember, they had resolved in their hearts not to defile themselves. They were going to be resilient. Even with opposition, they were going to stand firm in their faith in God and not break his commands. And so they are willing to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they want to honor God. Because they put their trust in him. Because his hope is a secure hope. That he can be trusted. That when we put our hope in God, God will not disappoint God will deliver. We're going to talk about what that means here in a moment. So they see some of these other people that have bowed down. They're peeking, right? Do you ever, like, during prayer, when you close your eyes, you kind of look around? That's what they were doing. So they look around and they go, hey, those guys are standing. And they're jealous of these guys because they just got promoted, remember? Daniel's like, hey, promote my friends. They just got promoted. Verse 12 says, But there are some Jews, this is them talking to Nebuchadnezzar, who have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. Getting them in trouble. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage. Why? Because he's crazy. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, we're cool. We're very good. But if you do not worship it, You will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Question for you Who can rescue them? Who can? Who can? You guys are so smart. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. Who can? Almost lost you for a second. Who can? God can. Is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Listen to these words. But even if. those are two really important words. Even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up? Do you hear their courage? Do you see their resilience in a hostile environment? Do you see that they have put their hope, not wishing, they have put their hope in what will not fail? They say, we know that God is able. Who can? God will deliver us. He says, God will deliver us. Not he might but then they do say, even if so, I want to unpack something because this is really, really important. As you go through life and as there's going to be those moments, maybe you pray for something, you go, I thought God would do that and he didn't. And maybe you're disappointed with God. I want to give you a, a clear understanding of, of theology of what that means. Because for every believer, every person who puts their trust in Jesus, God will deliver every believer every time. But I want to explain what that means. He does it one of three ways. Every time we face trial, every time we face the fiery furnace, God will deliver us one of three ways. Sometimes he will deliver us from the trial. He will deliver us from the trial that we won't have to go through whatever that trial is. He will supernaturally or miraculously, he'll cause it so that we don't have to go through that trial. He will rescue us from it. Sometimes, and I'm going to give examples of all three of these, he will rescue us through the trial. And then sometimes he will rescue us by the trial into heaven where he will make all things right for all time. Give you examples from from the Bible. There's this moment in Genesis, so we're going to go all the way, if you remember our timeline, all the way back here. There's this moment where God says to Abraham and Lot that there is destruction coming on a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, you need to get out of there because destruction is coming. And so Abraham goes and tells Lot and Abraham and Lot leave. And then destruction comes and wipes out the entire city. God rescues them from the trial. They didn't have to go through it. They didn't die and and God restored all things. No, no, no. They were rescued from it in that moment. Can I tell you some cool, like, can I geek out for a second with you guys? Okay. I'm so excited. I got to move around. Okay. But I don't want to ruin all the bad stuff. So there have been critics of the Bible that have said, hey, things that happened over here in Genesis, that's not archaeologically accurate. That didn't actually happen. Or that's not historical. And one of those things is they said, there's no such place as Sodom. But then you might go, but it says it was destroyed. But then archaeologists started looking around and they found a place and they said, we think this might be Sodom. And they dug down and it turns out the date was wrong. And they went, well, that's not it. And then recently, somebody was reading his Bible, he was doing a tour in Israel and he goes, I think we've been looking in the wrong place. And so there's these ancient cities that are built and they look like these hills and they can dig down because the cities would just be built on top of each other. And when they dig down, they're going back in time archeologically. And so they dug down and they dug down and they got to the time period of when Genesis, I believe it's Genesis 19 happened, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they dig down and they uncovered that everything is burnt. And they go, wait a minute. And there was hundreds of years that nothing was built on top of it. So this massive city was destroyed and abandoned for hundreds of years. And so they started going, well, that's strange. And they started looking at things like pottery and they went, hey, this pottery was melted into glass, but they didn't have that technology. And they started studying and they found out that what had actually happened to this city at the exact same time that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed is that a meteorite, I'm not making this up, it's in the Smithsonian, a meteorite came and exploded with the power of a thousand Hiroshima bombs and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and everything was just all like, all the people were just like turned into like dust. Like they found little bits and fragments and all the pottery and everything was melted. And it was like 3,600 degrees. You can Google this with an adult. Okay. So how cool is that? That, that actually, and we just discovered it. This article was like a couple of years ago. Anyhow, the Bible is legit and there will be critics who say, hey, that, that didn't actually happen. We don't have evidence. We are finding more and more evidence. And every time we find evidence, it doesn't disprove the Bible. It actually proves the validity that God has preserved his word for thousands of years. That the Bible can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. And even in the realm of science, I'm not going to totally geek out tonight, maybe tomorrow or another day. Science is a tool that believers and non-believers get to use. And the scientific evidence, the things that we discover, actually prove that something outside of nature had to create nature. And what we see in Genesis, in the very first pages, the very first verses are what cosmologists are finding, that everything has a beginning, and it started with light. And it's exactly what we had in the Bible. The Bible is legit. Sodom's a real place. Okay, so, back to where we were. Sometimes... God rescues us from the trial. Abraham and Lot didn't have to go through that. Wouldn't have survived it anyway. Okay, sometimes he rescues us through the trial. There's a guy named Noah, and God says, I'm going to flood the earth. Noah, you're going to build a boat in the middle of the land because there's a flood coming. And it's going to rescue your family, listen, through the trial. You're still going to experience the flood, but I'm going to provide a way for you to get through this trial to the other side. And he rescues Noah and his family through the trial. Sometimes he rescues us by the trial. In the New Testament, there's a guy named Stephen. And Stephen's a follower of Jesus. And people are trying to stop this thing that people are saying that Jesus rose from the grave. And Stephen is one who they decide we're going to make an example of him. That if you proclaim that you've witnessed that Jesus rose from the grave or you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to have you killed by Roman law. And so they take Stephen out into the street and they begin to throw rocks at him until Stephen dies. But right before Stephen dies, he has this vision. And he says, I see the son of man. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, God, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. And they get furious and they kill him. Here's what I love about this moment. In the Bible, it says when Jesus completed his work on the cross and the resurrection, that the work was done, and he's seated at the right hand of God. In this moment, he has a vision, Stephen does, and he sees Jesus standing. And here's what I believe was happening in this moment. I believe Jesus is saying, well done, Stephen. I know you're experiencing persecution, and I'm going to deliver you by the trial. I am going to welcome you into my arms by the trial. So for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus, listen, you will be delivered from your trials, either from them, through them, or by them. But God will deliver. We can face persecution. We can face trials because our hope is secure. God's promises, he's kept all of them, and he will continue to keep all of them. God is faithful. I love it when they say, even if, and here's why. Here's what I think as as followers, as believers, and maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, there's gonna be an opportunity to take that step this week. But if, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I find myself saying more often, and maybe you can relate. I don't say, even if, usually I say, what if? Do you see the difference? Like I say, what if all the time? And and here's what what if will breed in your life. It'll breed fear and anxiety. Like, well, what if this happens? What if I get sick? What if something bad happens over here? And we worry and we worry and we worry and we get anxious about all of these things. And I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. They say, even if. Even if the worst possible thing happens, Nebuchadnezzar, you can't touch us. God will rescue us by the trial. Even if. We won't bow down. Even if we will not abandon our faith and our hope in God because God is faithful. Even though they were exiles, enslaved in service to the king, they were free people. They were experiencing freedom even in a foreign land. And they knew the danger of idolatry, that worshiping this thing would rob them of their true freedom, which was a relationship with the one true God. And they said, Nebuchadnezzar, you can't rob our freedom. I know it looks like we're not free, that we're enslaved in this nation, but we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you cannot take that from us. And so, church, young people, listen to me. People will want to rob you of your freedom that you have in Jesus. Do not let them. Do not let them take that from you. You keep your faith in Jesus because he is faithful. And listen, you will not be disappointed. They are more free than anybody else in this gathering. Everybody else is submitted to this crazy leader and they go, we're not going to bow down. We won't be slaves to the culture. We won't be slaves to your expectations of us. We worship the king of kings. Today, we're tempted not to bow down to giant idols, but to worship other idols, things like money, money power, appearance, how we look, status, ability. I think social media is an idol for a lot of us because what's social media all about? Hey, look at me. Look at my image. It's all about me. Tim Keller says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Do you have any idols in your life? They're more important to you than God. They will rob you of your freedom. Don't bow down to those things. Put Jesus first. He's the king of kings. Says then, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army, listen to these words, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's going to rob them of their freedom. He's going to tie them up. And throw them into the blazing furnace. So the men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound, listen to those words, thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. The fourth looks like a son of the gods. Many theologians believe that this was a pre-incarnate. So before Jesus shows up, humanly speaking, he's always existed, that Jesus makes a little cameo in this moment, and he's there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we know that this is a messenger of God, and even Nebuchadnezzar recognizes it. You and I can be free in the midst of trial because we know that we are not alone. We're not alone in our trials, that God is with us. And listen, you guys have something incredible right now here at camp. You guys have each other. You guys have your youth leaders. You guys have one another. You guys have your churches. You guys have this camp that if you're going through trials, don't go through it alone. God doesn't want you to go through it alone. He's given us the church and God loves us through one another, that's part of what the function of the church is, that we are not alone, that God is with us, that we have one another. Nebuchadnezzar's amazed. He tells them to come out. They don't even have the smell of fire on them. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, therefore, in response to what he just saw, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, anybody who talks trash about this God shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. He's crazy. But then he says this, and he's absolutely right. He says, for no other, and he says, little g, God, because they're all false gods. He says, no other God can save in this way. There's only one God who can. Who can? God can. Courage and freedom are found in God. 1 Peter 1 says, in all this, talking about trials and persecution, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith are greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, that our hope in him is secure, that our hope in him is rock solid. We will not be disappointed. Though you have not seen him, you love him and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You will be rescued either from the trial, through the trial, or by the trial. It says, when, after Nebuchadnezzar had seen all of this in Daniel, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. He recognizes these men serve someone else. They serve the God in heaven. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Guys, we serve God alone. He is our hope. You want to persevere through trials? Put your trust in the one who will not disappoint, who will rescue and deliver you. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what we will face in the future, but God, we know that there will be difficulties. There will be challenges. It may come from just the, the brokenness of the world around us. It may come from the fact that sickness is a real thing, that our bodies can become sick. It could be that it comes from outside persecution because of our faith in you and people don't know what to do with that because it it will make us look different in some ways. God, I pray that we would have courage the way these men had courage, that our hope would be in you and you alone. And God, we trust that you will deliver us either from the trial, through the trial or by the trial, but we know that you will deliver us. And so we have courage Not to say what if and be afraid of what might happen, but to say even if, no matter what comes our way, God, our trust, our hope is in you. Help us to stand firm, to be resilient in an increasingly hostile culture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together to sing this together.